Now, it being in operations R&D, understanding the process and systems, and then product marketing, where um, at BK they said, hey, we've got this new sauce that we need to implement, or, or we're going to put the sticker on this wrapper. And I would say, I would say hold on for a second. Um, we need to make sure that we're validating this. And they said, come on, Larry, it's, it's a sticker or on, a, on a wrapper. What's the big deal? It's a sauce that you just put on the line. You know, many times we don't realize or appreciate the ramifications of putting one small little widget onto a line uh, for 8,000 restaurants. It could be devastating. So it's validating every step of the process here. It's challenging the constraints, knowing how to to um, uh, think like a field, um, you know, that, that uh, frontline team member there who may not care for what you're doing, may not understand. Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership. Allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Uh, have a, an exciting episode here today with our uh, our guest Larry Layden. But before we introduce Larry, want to say what up to my my co-host Dan. What's going on, man? I'm coming to you guys live from my glass wall office. Uh, hopefully, it's coming through clear. Yeah, it's coming through. You know, so if you listen to our podcast uh, somewhat religiously, uh, you either get my version that's like crystal clear when I do it in the studio, or you get sometimes a little crackle because these windows, I haven't figured out a solution. Uh, I might have to get some like, I might have to call Koala up or, or some, someone yeah. to get some, some foam around. Some soundproofing, right? Yeah, for sure. It's a good looking office there, Dan. Well, I appreciate it. It's actually, um, it's, it's a little too, too big for me. Um, this is all they had. And I, I, I live in New York City in a one-bedroom apartment. And so if I want to you know, end up not being single, uh, I need to get out of the house for work. And this was the only thing I could find that was somewhat reasonably priced. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to get into a little smaller of an office in the, in the coming future. But thank you. All right. Wonderful. Well, with that, I think let's let's welcome our guest on today, who uh, Larry Layton, and he has uh, owns a company called Four Wall Insights. They're a franchise consulting company that specializes in helping emerging franchisors. And we'll let Larry tell you more about what they do and all of that. But before we jump into that, just wanted to say, Larry, welcome to the welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, and um, would love to just hear a little bit about your background because I know chatting offline, you have a pretty amazing story in terms of not only how you got into franchising, but also how you got into uh, the country and your, and your background. Yeah, so sure. if you want to start there, we'll, we'll roll from there. Well, jazz to be here with you guys. So grateful for the opportunity. So yeah, you know, here's this, um, I was born in Guatemala, Central America. I came from a, a family of great means, um, a lot of comfort. And all of a sudden we had this civil war that, uh, just really messing things up. And my brother and I circumvent a uh, kidnapping attempt. And this is where my folks said, you know, with three young teenagers, it's we need to get out of here. So we took uh, a station wagon and BMW. We packed everything we could and came to the United States. And so it's a different Latin American story. But um, this is where I realized I find myself um, now in California, Southern California, in an apartment um, didn't have a bed, so I'm sleeping on the floor for six months. My mom would uh, would have boxes and she would foil them and then crochet little doilies, and that would be our little tables, you know. So 
it was a huge disruption, but I learned a lot about immediately getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, there's tremendous growth in that. And also there is, there's no greater mentor and there's no greater teacher than the teacher and mentor of suffering and trials, man. I tell you, there's so much that uh, I learned about myself and really it has created a tremendous uh, trajectory in terms of how I approach uh, business and my own personal life. Going, going to actually, and speaking of getting uncomfortable or being comfortable being uncomfortable, um, uh, eighth grade, November, it was November. So we had a few months left and all of a sudden um, comes summer. And I'm finding myself, uh, here's this Guatemalan trying to get, you know, befriend people and just, you know, understanding um, just culture. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to play baseball. So uh, here I am in the summertime. I've got my baseball mitts and my cap. And because in Guatemala, if you want to play, I played soccer, I played baseball. So those are the two sports that I knew. And I said, I'm going to go out and play a sport and get to know people. So all of a sudden I'm, I'm in the, you know, in high school and I'm looking at these massive guys and they're all, you know, they're, they've got their football gear up and I'm looking for the baseball coach. And finally I see a coach and I go, coach, I'm here to play baseball. And he looks at me and he said, son, here we're playing, we're playing football. Baseball season is not here yet. So that I realized a, a very valuable story there that you got to know the seasons and there's a seasons in life. And I, and I apply that to business as well. So the rest of it's history. Um, but that's how I came into the United States. Well, I love it, man. That's a, that's a pretty amazing story. I mean, having a, a kidnapping attempt, I mean, is no joke. That's definitely something that most people can probably say that they've never luckily had to face. So, I, I mean, I think it's amazing. Glad you guys are okay. Glad you guys are over here. And I think that is, is an awesome story. And, and it's really amazing to see how things have turned out for you because you've done some amazing things within franchising. You have quite the, quite the record and quite the background. So, um, wanted to hear a little bit about how you got into franchising. Like how did franchising find you? Right. Because usually yeah. that's kind of how it goes. So how did you get into franchising? So, um, you know, I, I needed a real job and after college and I was getting married and I thought, okay, I need to go find something. And it was Taco Bell at the time, uh, the corporate offices here in Irvine. And I applied and I ended up uh, coming in as an operations uh, assistant general manager running one of their seven R&D stores. And um, I worked really hard and again, take that entrepreneurial, managerial and, and ownership approach here and just absorbed everything the general manager was doing and quickly got promoted to, to GM. And this is working at Taco Bell. It was part of PepsiCo Restaurants International at the time. Um, that's where I realized the value of systems, the value of, of working with people that you can't do it all on your own. So, you know, as a new manager, it was, you know, I took a lot of pride in what I was doing. And, uh, but there were some serious mistakes where I made it about me and realized, dude, you can't, you know, you can't do it all. I had a man at my, my boss at the time. He said, Hey, um, you're looking, we want to train you to become a market training manager. So I want to see the systems you have in place. So he said, I'd be here in, in, in a week and a half. So here I am. I've got the team. We rally around them. We're cleaning our store. We're doing all kinds of great things. And all of a sudden the store looks fantastic and gave me high remarks. And then following, he came back two weeks later. And guess what? He didn't see, he didn't find the same store the way he, he saw it the last time. 
then that was a valuable aha moment for me is that systems. You can't, you don't have a system if you're, if your team is relying on you to plug in the holes and tell what you have to do, et cetera. So quickly learn um, how important it was. Also being in operations R&D, um, learned how to think from the art of possibilities, really question the, the status quo. And that really paid dividends in terms of where I'm at today. Um, so from PepsiCo Restaurants International became Tricon. I was, uh, because of uh, you know being at Taco Bell for a while, I actually was on their stock certificate, my picture representing the Taco Bell side. So from Pepsi, we went to talk to Tricon, and then now we all know it as Yum Brands. Um, at that time, was recruited over to Burger King, and this is where I learned the value of working with franchisees. Came in as an operations trainer, then um, working with franchisees, quickly got promoted to a franchise business consultant. But I saw something different here where that my colleagues, they had, you know, a checklist and they would go in and visit the franchisees and it was check here, check there. And all of a sudden when you're done, you hand over the report and you're leaving. And I thought there's something more or there's something missing here and it's not resonating with the franchisees. It wasn't resonating with me. Where's the value of the consulting piece, the business consulting piece? So that's when I learned I'm going to do something different. I got to learn their language. And it's about profitability and about what works and what doesn't. And so, again, thinking from the art of possibilities and thinking like an owner to be able to, to bring value to them, it was during a time where Burger King was going through all kinds of leadership uh, challenges and our franchisees in the Southern California market were scrambling. And all of a sudden, it's a diverse, you know, very, um, you have two groups, um, very uh, highly, uh, what I want to say here is um, fragmented group where you got one camp that was uh, discounting our flagship sandwich for 99 cents. And then you had the other camp that was saying, you can't do that. This is our flagship sandwich. And reason being is that they were desperate. They were desperate to uh, bring an in income and pay the lights and uh, or keep the lights on and pay their employees. So I quickly start uh, thinking, I asked my boss to say, hey, look, I come from Guatemala and I'm looking at who is frequenting our, our restaurants and there's a lot of Hispanics. So there's a couple of things that we can do, little details, you know, and so it's how do we cater to them? Simple little things to say, you know, offering jalapenos for free. It was during the time also where Coca-Cola was getting rid of Fanta and they were going to do Minute Maid. And I said, guys, that's a huge mistake. There's a nostalgia about Fanta and and we, we need to make sure that we keep that. Long story short, um, did all kinds of cool little things for the Southern California market um, we also were finding ourselves, we're putting uh, jalapenos on the Whopper and I got, uh, received a phone call from Miami. I got a guy slap my hand and say, what are you doing? This is not your job. And he said, well, we got to do something here and it seems to be working. So after slapping my hand and asking what the heck I'm doing, they actually relocated my family and I to uh, Miami where I came in an operations R&D and relaunched breakfast for them. So it was an incredible experience. Then from uh, operations R&D, was brought over to product marketing. And because, uh, uh, you know, operations and marketing do not tend to uh, speak well to each other. You know, I mean, they, they see things from different angles. And I kind of served as that bridge. So my depth is operations, but I also see and understand the marketplace and what draws in business. So that's uh, from there, worked with a with a venture firm out of New York um, in, in creating, taking the playbook of, of this concept. It was a very cool concept. Um, but that's where I realized also that, you know, in, in, for a business to flourish, you need to be well capitalized, has to be the right time, you have to have the right product. 
uh, but also the people side need to be there. And that's when I realized that uh, the the Achilles here, heel here was uh, not having the right team. When you got the founder who has to be the smartest person in, in the room, you know, unfortunately, that's where it creates a, a demise and, and you can't flourish, especially when you're going through ideation and, and really thinking from those arts of uh, possibilities. But then, then I've gone on to, uh, with Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, creating a best-in-class franchise consulting team and uh, work with uh, an emerging group coming from Latin America to the United States. So I've been a franchisor, but also a franchisee, a master franchise. So I've seen the whole the whole gamut of, uh, of of the franchise story and what works, what doesn't. And what's crazy, guys, is that uh, we tend to make the same mistakes. I don't care if you're a global um, mature brand or a startup or anything in between. It's like, why are we making the same mistakes? And this is where I decided it is time for me to go on my own and helping uh, emerging franchisees do um, scale. Because a lot of them seem to be stuck in where they're royalty dependent. And again, to pay the lights uh, or I mean, pay their employees and keep the lights on. So um, I think it was Fran Data that that put a very interesting uh, report together that you've got 61% of, of franchisees today are considered early stage and they have under 20 units. And I saw another report where 82% of the entire franchise system have less than 100. I heard you guys talk about how do you become a, that 5%er. So there's huge, huge opportunities right there for franchisees or franchisors to really scale. And that's what I'm focusing on today. That's incredible, man. I mean, that's, you've been involved in some pretty big brands. And I think it's, I mean, for me, it's, it's obviously very, very impressive and to have made a dent in those, in those spaces and to be of enough value that they fly you out to Miami and, and, and get, you know, keep putting you in different, in different parts of the business. I mean, that speaks to the value that, that you can provide and your understanding of the franchise model. Uh, something I did want to touch on, obviously, is, and I think we could talk about both sides of the fence the franchisor side and the franchisee side. But you, you mentioned some of the most common mistakes that people make. And I think oftentimes, you know, franchisee, is, we're, we're human beings. So it, blaming people is very, very easy. And you always want to blame the other side. Franchisors want to blame so franchisees. True. They're lazy. They're not following the system. And then the franchisees want to blame the franchisor. You're not listening to us. We're telling you the shifts in the market that you're not paying attention to and all these different things. And so they tend to talk past each other a lot of the time. So I think this is a cool opportunity since you've been on so many different sides of the of the of the fence um, to to touch on some of the mistakes that that both sides make and maybe we'll start with maybe the franchisor. You know, absolutely. Um, you know, I've had a chance these past couple of years go into health and wellness. So restaurants is where I really um, uh, got a, an in depth understanding of how do you motivate people, the value of systems and process. But then I've had I've now been engaged in other franchise concepts, which has been really cool. And that's why I see there's a common mistake, especially for the early stage emerging franchise. Number one, I would say there's probably a few here that really come to mind. I find that the founder and the leadership team, they are scrambling. They're in a constant state of flux. And we're seeing that they're over-promising and under-delivering. And uh, I thought, why? Why is this happening? So you go a little deeper and part one is that, especially when you're starting out, 
familiarity is, is it, unfortunately, is not good for business. It's not good for the founder and leadership team, and it's not good for franchisees. It's not sustainable. What I mean by that is that, you know, I've heard founders, I've worked with founders that say, well, our early franchisees, they're, they're our friends. You know, they're like family to me. They, they, you know, I go to each other's, we go to each other's weddings and, and, you know, Christmas parties and birthdays and what have you. So all those are great intention guys, but uh, all of a sudden it gets, the, the lines get a little blurred, you know, um, the consequences, unintended consequences are these, is that there's unsustainable expectations of the franchisees. Your baby, you could probably be able to provide some great service and that personalized service for if you have one to maybe 10 franchise, but all of a sudden you've got that 11th franchise and moving forward, it's not sustainable. And this is where they're scrambling. And, and um, now franchisees have this expectation. It's like, hey, how come you're not answering me? I'm also seeing that the Peter principle is real. You've got great folks out there that uh, started, you know, with the concept. But sooner or later, uh, your business looks very different from one to five to 10 units uh, and franchisees. All of a sudden, something happens when you go to that 11th and 15th and so forth. And I'm finding that a lot of uh, well-intended, good people that worked and were part of the startup piece all of a sudden, the business has outgrown their ability to perform and bring value to the franchise. So if you're serious about franchise, you've got to bring in the professionals to help you build your systems and infrastructure. So um, that is one piece. And then all of a sudden, you hear this. It's trite. Look, none of this is new. Um, but um, team members, are the franchisor, the founders, all of a sudden, they find themselves as they're scrambling. They are working in the business and not you know, on the business. Um, so that's part one is familiarity. I see the other piece is um, obsolete processes and systems. You know, I've been in, in infrastructures where all of a sudden we're scrambling because you know, as I join in, um, they are building the, the plane in mid-flight. And it's just, it's retooling. If it's your building or retooling or repairing, um, it, it's, it's just, it, it's exhausting. And um, I'm finding that there's a lack of data lack of relevant data or data is available, but it's very hard to get, you know, business does not wait for systems to get their stuff together, you know? So all of a sudden you're scrambling, you're scrambling for talent. And, um, and then you're trying to balance your own openings with the new store openings. And there's a greater demand for the field support. And this is just becomes this vortex of, of, of this de demand here. That's, that's causing tremendous pain for the franchise leadership team. I've also seen because of this um, under promise or over over promising under delivering here in a state of flux, vendors, all of a sudden vendor suppliers become the panacea. It's like, man, it's the end all where I've got this need, just brought in this vendor and they go ahead and launch their, their product. And then they have this, oh shit moment. It's not working. Or we didn't think about X, Y, and Z. So systems, the reason being is the system is not being fully vetted. It's purely transactional. You got one vendor supplier that's coming in and then you got the other one coming in. They're doing their piece and they're gone. And all of a sudden you got the leadership team that they're stuck trying to put the, all the pieces together. In the meantime, you've got franchisees that are frustrated as can be because things are not working. So, um, you know, in order to fix that, you need to have a dedicated stakeholder within the leadership team to ensure that all initiatives have been validated and stress tests prior to the systems 
being launched out to the to to the field. Simple little project charter, um, you know, and thinking ahead of time will will makes a big difference there. So that's where I'm finding um, just within the infrastructure, the leadership team, that's a big pain point. Familiarity, obsolete process systems. They're all of a sudden they're relying on suppliers to help fix their issue. So um, you're stuck in survival mode. You know, it's it's difficult when you to be strategic when you're in survival mode. And um, personal, you know, personally, the leadership team, their personal lives become in a state of flux and it only exacerbates the issue. I worked with uh, a, a, a Greek ownership team here in Southern California. It was a regional brand that I, I absolutely love these guys. They remind me a lot of my family. And they said, Larry, you know, uh, they, they use this analogies. Um, they came from a fisher um, a fishing village and they said, the fish, if you want to know if the fish is healthy, you smell the head because the, you know, if the head is fresh, the rest of the body is fresh. So that really intrigued me because I saw it in, in operations and running restaurants and out in the field teams. A lot of times the mistakes that franchisors and franchisees do is that they bring in someone in just to quickly, you know, we need that manager. But if you bring in a B manager, all of a sudden that B manager starts attracting C employees. It's not sustainable. So I thought, well, that's interesting. Then I also, in my in my experience of working with a startup and my experience of working with other franchise brands, that if the leadership team, starting with a founder and CEO, if he doesn't have his personal life in order, it's impossible to be able to, to bring value to a franchise. So it all just kind of trickles there, you know? So that's where, you know, if I was to recap, long-winded one, but it's in terms of your the franchise system. Second point is the severely impacting, um, you know, communication. You know, franchisees are frustrated. I've seen this too many times where franchisees feel ignored and, um, and how you can truly tell where the communication process has been hindered is when you start seeing franchisees sending emails to the leadership team, but it's not to one person, it's to the entire group. And so it's to the two line with the hopes that someone's gonna get back to them. So communication it takes a huge toll on to the, uh, the franchise support. And so what, this, what happens there is a tax on trust. And it's a tax on the self-trust, it's the relationship trust, the organizational trust, um, market trust and so on. And, and it's just, it has a ripple effect. I love what Covey talks about is that trust has a ripple effect on where it becomes accumulative and exponential, but also has the inverse effect. When you start seeing, um, trust break down, it starts with yourself and it just kind of ripples back into you and it makes for a very miserable and tough, tough business there. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. I agree. You know, not responding or delayed response to anything important is just the first sign of, you know, a lack of respect for someone, right? And, and their concern, even if it's, you know, hey, I just got your email and I'm not available until X time. Like some response is better than nothing, but more importantly, having something in place that you um, can handle those those responses. I mean, I, I look at when you're a franchisor. I mean, one third of your business, if not more, is just the 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 support, right? The customer support. Your customers, the franchisee. If I go to call any technology solution right now, 
um, you know, whether not, maybe not like Google, but like if I go to use the majority of tools that I buy and pay money to, which by the way, I only pay a few hundred dollars a year or a month, it's unheard of that they don't get back to you, right? Yet as a franchisor, someone's paying you 7% of their gross sales, maybe they're worth $50,000 a year if you're in a certain type of business in royalties or more, and you're not getting back to them. It's, it's, um, that's like, it's crazy to me. Um, so I, I couldn't agree with you more about just the commitment to responding to, to people. Um, that's a really great point among many other great points, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, the other, the, maybe the third piece that I see that's an, it, it continues to, it continues to have a recurring theme here is that all of a sudden there's a lack of clarity of ownership and accountability within the leadership team where everyone's scrambling. So everyone owns it. No one owns it. Um, and then you're doing the blame game and, um, and then you start seeing the entire team with severe burnout. And so what I found from that, if you're not stopping and fixing things, all of a sudden the unintended consequences that the franchisor and that team, they start finding there's, they see themselves now in dealing with legal battles and the legal battles come within, within the team and also externally with franchisees. So how important it is to, you know, in my business, we talk about fundamentals, the cornerstone of any and every thriving business. You've got to make sure that you hone down and be exquisitely detailed on terms of the fundamentals of your business to avoid these, these, these ongoing mistakes that we continue to repeat. And, and, you know, these three major highlights that I brought up, I've seen it with the mature brands and I've seen it with the startups and everything in between. So it's really important to stop, reassess, and you continue to retool and refine your process. You have to engage your team. So, all right. So those are the pain points, right? Now I, I was thinking, well, how do I now in my practice, what are some of the tips that, that, that I've experienced that I've done personally and I've seen that they work? Um, and the first one comes that comes to mind is slow down. You know, you've heard this before. You got to slow down before you start ramping up. And, and sometimes that requires a leadership team to stop all activities. And uh, I personally did this when I first came in uh, into a real challenge emerging group. And um, I said, this is, this is insane. And we need to stop. So then what I ended up doing was uh, I said, guys, I own it. The buck stops here with me. And so acknowledge that there is a breakdown. Then I thought, okay, light sheds, you know, when you, when you shed light, it disinfects things. So bring light and call out the issues that's impacting system. And to validate that simple phone call, you get on the call or you meet up with franchisees and you ask three questions. What's working? What do you love about the brand? What's not working? And that's where I'm just taking a bunch of notes, right? And then I subscribe to the 80-20. What is the one thing if fixed tomorrow can exponentially alleviate a lot of the challenges there. Holy smokes. That is where all of a sudden you start getting a common theme here and a recurrent, maybe where it's maybe top one, two, or three priorities that could really address and change um, the trajectory of the franchise. So um, you recap. And then after, after having these field conversations, you meet up with your leadership team and you start deviating up in terms of, all right, guys, you know, where, where let's tackle these here. What are the true, what are the true issues that are, that that's impacting it and asking why I can't tell you that, that three letter word, there's tremendous 
wisdom and asking why. You know, you hear about why are you in business? So what's your why? But also, why are things happening good? And why are things not happening well? And and all of a sudden you start getting um, some real clarity on that stuff. So when you start now addressing what needs to happen, times I've seen it where it really resonates is utilizing the, the tried and true smart criteria. Be specific and make sure that there's a measurable. So we talked about tax on, on the trust. How you start immediately regaining trust is utilizing that smart criteria. Hey, this is specific. These are the issues that are going on. This is what we're going to do to fix it. And by this date, we will have this uh, done. So all of a sudden, you've got franchisees who were frustrated. They are concerned that there's a there's a breakdown in leadership. But all of a sudden, those little elements are crucial to regaining that trust. So um, so once you do that, you start mapping out. You know, I, I'm a big subscriber to to um, traction. Love the OS. I know franchisees and franchisors are really embracing that, which is a very good thing. Um, you know, it's the whole ideas, right? So identify, discuss, and solve. But asking the why five times, gentlemen, is where I realize it allows you to distill the symptoms and truly get to the root of the problem. And so, um, yeah, so then we start figuring that out. And then you start the journey of mapping out your employee um, process in terms of how you engage your employee to how you train them and to how you develop them. It's mapping out your customer in terms of how you bring them in. If you're if you're membership based, you know how do you how do you engage through marketing, and then all the way through, um, through when they when when you know as they churn, how do you how do you map out the franchise journey? How do you engage them through the discovery process, through their ten to twenty years in process, and and then finally, um, it's. Uh, it, it, Look, it, it, by by mapping out that journey, all of a sudden you start identifying the gaps in each one of the processes there. And you start now, and that's my operations R&D hat, and you start reinforcing where the critical, you identify the critical control pieces, and then you start building some reinforcements that will ensure that your your franchise and your operations is fluid. It's been a real cool thing there that uh, I've seen happen. I mean, all, all impressive wisdom for sure. That's one of the things that I heard years ago that that changed my life. I think I heard it on the Tim Ferriss show. For those of you that don't know, he wrote the book, The 4-Hour Workweek, has an amazing podcast called The Tim Ferriss Show. Uh, and he, he taught me about, yeah, asking why five times, you know, because at first, you, if you ask why something is the case, you're going to get a surface level reason. But then you ask why that is and you and you continue to dig down. Eventually, you will get, like you said, to that root cause of what is truly the issue. And it does bring you a different level of clarity. So I'm so glad you said that. I think that's a, a very useful exercise in all areas of life. Um, and so I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about, about your practice and what you do right now, obviously, because you came from food. You have a ton of food experience. But I just know, I know from just talking offline with you that you're not only involved in food and you know you've you've said to me operations at the end of the day operations is operations right so you work with different industries but how how do you select you know for for those that are listening franchisors that are thinking you know i would maybe like some kind of help from a guy like larry how do i know if i'm the right brand how do you go about selecting the brands you work with are there certain industries certain numbers of franchisees that you go after, you know, what, and what is your process for onboarding them and getting them started? 
Yeah, it, it's, you know, I'm realizing that, um, again, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. So if it's restaurants and, and uh, or health and wellness, um, the benefit that I have starting a restaurant, that's a hard business. And if you're able to motivate minimum wage earners, the frontline team members, and recognizing you have to obsess over them and empower them to get them to get them buy, bought into your your system, your process, your why, that's huge. Um, and relying on on valuable infrastructure and systems, all that it it, it you know it translates beautifully into any industry. So the fact that if I've been able to master the French on the on the the restaurant side of the business, the other piece almost becomes uh, well, it's, it's easier because it's uh, you're not dealing with all these additional variables. There's all kinds of variables out there, but um, you know, now it being an operations R and D, understanding the process and systems, and then product marketing, where um, at BK they said, hey, we've got this new sauce that we need to implement, or or we're going to put the sticker on this wrapper. And I would say, I would say, hold on for a second. Um, we need to make sure that we're validating this. And they said, come on, Larry, it's it's a sticker or on a on a wrapper. What's the big deal? It's a sauce that you just put on the line. You know, many times we don't realize or appreciate the ramifications of putting one small little widget onto a, a line uh, for eight thousand restaurants. It could be devastating. So it's validating every step of the process here. It's challenging the constraints, knowing how to to um, uh, think like a field, um, you know, that that uh, frontline team member there who may not care for what you're doing, may not understand. So there's some insight there that I offer, and this is why I call it four wall insights. It starts with what's happening within the four walls of your your business. A lot of times we're looking outward. You know, how do you heal bodies from the inside out? So look inside. And so what my process is, I start looking at asking a lot of questions. Walk me through your process. Walk me through your uh, your onboarding process with your team, you know, with your franchisees, with your customer and realizing, okay, so in that journey, when you map it out, these are these are vulnerabilities here. And this is where you start strengthening um, through putting some some, in, you know, some systems in place to help you replicate that so um yeah it's it's uh, it's been incredible I, the, the some of the clients i've worked with was um uh, a growing businesses in the security and private investigating firms so same for, they said hey i love the franchise concept i i am growing in multiple states i need your help and so bring it on so it's just asking what your current process is today mapping it out and it's like okay this is what you need to do then you start empowering um, people I've worked with, um, you know, out of, uh, out of Miami, it was uh, a group, a uh, um, international freight forwarding group, and they were growing and growing into various countries. So same situation, applying those same disciplines into helping them um, train and making sure that they're leveraging technology. A lot of time it's, if you find something that is heavily relying on an individual or, or, or you know, a person here, you don't have an infrastructure in place, and that makes it very, very difficult. So, at the end, is how do you create an environment where the systems are driving that, and not an individual? So, it's been it's been uh, very insightful. My last, uh, I had another opportunity where I was working with a manufacturing uh, a company where they manufacture lab scale equipment all over the world, and they deal with these high end um, pieces of equipment for you know, research. Uh, 
universities and, and manufacturing, same disciplines there. And so just mapping out the process and reinforcing where there's challenges. So it's all the same. And um, thank goodness. And uh, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's uh, applying those, those pieces there really make a big difference. 100%. One thing I did want to shift a little bit. Um, I think all of that is is awesome. Um, so we do have a before we wrap up, we do have a lot of audience listeners that are also franchisees. And I think you mentioned that you've been a master franchisee and you have experience on that side of the house as well. So wanted to see if you could touch a little bit on, you know, a, a couple, maybe like the top, you know, one or two mistakes that franchise you see franchisees making and then, you know. On, and then on the flip side, what the solution is to some of those those common issues, and then we can, you know, wrap up from there. Yeah, you know, what I'm finding with franchisees um, and being one myself at one point was um, you think you could do it all yourself, or I found it where as a franchisee, I just want to I want to own this business and let it run on its own. Guys, uh, you know, if, if that's your goal, great, but invest in your infrastructure in order for it to support your end goal there. So if you wanna be an absentee franchise, what you wanna do is you need to bring in top quality people that will ensure that your business is, is flourishing there. So I think it all starts with people. Um, if you don't have the infrastructure in place to, to accomplish your end goal, it ain't gonna work for you. I don't care how simple the business is. That's been probably the biggest aha is how many franchisees coming in they're real, they, you know, they, they, they're attracted to a very simple business model, but at the end, um, you know, competition is fierce uh, for people, for customers. And so ensuring that you've got the right team and right infrastructure in place and motivating them is, is essential. You know, we talk about the great resignation. More than ever before, we require leaders to have a high EQ and how do you bring people into understanding your why. So I would think that would be the probably the biggest mistake that I've seen um, that challenges franchisees and franchisors for that yeah. matter. Well, and something you said earlier that I, I completely believe in is you said, if you hire a B manager, they're going to start bringing in C employees. So how do you get, how do you, how do you attract and then how do you retain an A level uh, general manager, someone that's going to help run your operation? Because Today, right now, as a franchise consultant myself, a lot of the candidates I work with, people are looking for semi-absentee. But I always let them know, look, you know, it's not just mailbox money. You're not going to just buy a business, invest all of this money into starting a franchise, and then someone's going to care about your business as much as you, right? You, it's it's not going to happen, and you have to still be involved to some degree. But and to really execute the semi-absentee model, the executive model properly you need to have a really strong general manager. So how do we find that person? How do we attract them? How do we keep them? I love the question. Look, it, it goes back to basics again. And this is where the value of EOS, what are your core values? So it start there and, and your core values really sets a trajectory in terms of how you, how you recruit franchisees, how you recruit people internally as well. So people buy into your why. And so your core values will... And the behavior, you got to make sure one of the mistakes we see is that core values are not anchored to expected behaviors and characteristics. So those behaviors is what you're looking for when you're, when you're looking for a team, you're building a team. So the core value, it starts right there. 
And, 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 and so that will help you ensure that you are attracting um, top quality talent. You got to pay them right as well. I mean, so many times I see it where we're penny wise and pound foolish, right? And so I, if I can get a, a manager, you know, that's making $30,000, $40,000 a year, I'm golden. But all of a sudden, you know, you see this top quality candidate that requires a fifty, sixty, or seventy thousand dollars, and they say, oh, "I can't afford them." But all of a sudden, they're they're scrambling and bringing in these these lower tier managers that again, it it, it, it that only attract the low, um, you know, B players, C players. It it really impacts your entire business. So focus up front um, in in your people, pay them well. Be you know, you want to be to in order to be attract best in class, you got to be best in class. And you got to explain your why. Why are you best in class from service to why you want to, you know, why should you come and work for me? So it's, uh, it's absolutely essential to, to, in order for you to attract the best, you've got to behave and, and, and prepare yourself to being best in class within the market that you're in. Cause at the end, you know, the market wants, um, business exists because the market wants you to exist. Okay. So, um, you got to make sure you're bringing in the value and, and really serving. And that's where I would finalize, um, you know, uh, my thoughts in terms of where I've seen franchising and, and what we can do to really elevate the game. I, I love it. I think it's so true. So many people step over dollars to get to dimes. And it's funny because yeah, you might, it might feel like you're saving a ton of money and resources on the front end because you're not paying the manager quite as much as you might pay a higher tier manager. So you might think, hey, I'm making a smart decision. I'm keeping costs low, which ultimately is bringing more to the bottom line. But, but, but really, is it at the end of the day? Is it because all of the mistakes that are made, wasted resources, the bad attitudes that they'll bring in in terms of other employees, and just the, the cultural poison that will be inflicted in the organization as well? I think, yeah, you might pay a little bit more money up front, but on the back end, you're saving a ton in terms of wasted resources. And think about it. If you're general manager who you're not paying well, what's their incentive to really stay? If they get a better offer somewhere else or they get sick of working for you or working here, they're going to jump ship and go elsewhere. So yeah. then you're having to recruit and, and retrain and there's time and effort and money involved in that. So I completely agree with what you said that you, you can't you can't be cheap. You have to be smart with your resources and investing in to good people is probably one of the best investments you could make. So you know it, you're absolutely right, Christian. And it, it, it's that your people. But at the end, life happens, right? So people move, they get married, some people die, you know. And and so if you're relying, if your entire infrastructure is relying on on an individual, mm. you don't have a sustainable business because mm -hmm. again, life happens. So, what are the systems that you have in play that'll ensure, no matter who you have, that your business continues to go and flourish? So it's really it goes hand in hand. Yeah. So and you have other teammates as well, and you know maybe you're interviewing, and and you know you have other potential general managers to step in if you need to. That sort of thing is that what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're constantly feeding the trough. You're constantly investing in your business and people and people and systems. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, awesome, man. Well, before we wrap up here, I just wanted to, I mean, this has been an incredible episode, a lot of great insight here. Uh, wanted to give you a chance to leave our audience with anything that, that you feel they might benefit, you know, whether you want to speak more to the franchisor side or the franchisee side, um, whatever kind of advice you'd like to leave the audience with, I'll just, I'll let you, I'll let you share it and, and we'll wrap up. Yeah, you know, no matter if you're a franchise or a franchisee or in business, I'm realizing that business 
is a virtuous game. You know, a good business is a virtuous game. Business exists because the market wants you to. Um, so, okay, so what do you mean by that, right? It's be of service and value to others. Any work we do that involves interaction with people, I've come to realize it's a moral, it's moral work. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's how you interact with your employee, your franchisee, your customer, your vendor supplier, your stakeholder. You know, at the end, uh, we all have a need to be seen, to be heard, and to be cared for. So we're in the business of people, no matter what it is, be good to them. Um, societies, I find, tend to celebrate moral exemplars. And people celebrate moral heroes. So it's um, really going back to basics. And, and if, if any leadership, if you're as a franchisor or franchisee, again, it's what's foundational and begins with self. And if I'm if I'm if I'm looking to go into a franchise, I want to vet out the the leadership team and making sure our, our core values aligned here. And it, it begins with those basics. So um, at the end, um, begin inside. You create an environment that encourages and celebrates moral skills, and uh, people get inspired to do the right thing. So we're in, it's all about people and how we treat each other, and it's not a zero sum game. I love it, man. I, I think it's awesome. I couldn't agree more. I think relationships, people, that's the spice of life. And it's, and it's what's going to give you a fulfilling life at the end of the day. And, and, and ultimately, you know, a great business as well, whether you're on the franchisor side or the franchisee side. So, um, Larry, thanks so much for coming on, man. Uh, for those that want to, uh, to check you out more, where, where can people connect with you or learn more about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. It'd be fourwallinsights.com. And, uh, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. And also on Instagram. So it's canny underscore insights where I really talk to my 20 year old version of myself. You know, we've been blessed to have, I've been blessed to have some great mentors. So big on mentoring and uh, giving back. So appreciate the opportunity to be with you guys. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Uh, and thanks for everyone for tuning into another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Uh, if you don't already, uh, give us a follow on, uh, you know, our social media pages, subscribe, share the podcast. If you like it, leave us an honest review. And of course, if you'd like our help with buying a franchise or even franchising your business, just let us know and we'd, we'd be happy to have a conversation. Uh, so thanks again, Larry. And thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at franchisefounders at gmail.com.